Good morning. Uh, my name is David Dunderdale. I'm one of the pastors here as well and want to extend my uh, welcome to you as well. It is good to be together this morning. We are continuing in a sermon series that we are doing on conversations with Jesus, and this morning we have conversation that Jesus had with a young man that we find in Mark chapter 10. I encourage you to uh, open your Bible. If uh, there's a Bible there in the pew, if you want to open to Mark chapter 10, you can find that on page 1013, and the Bible's in your pews there. And we'll be reading Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. Listen again to God's word to us. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This too is word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We began this sermon series asking the question, what do we learn about Jesus in this conversation? I think we, if we wanted to come up with a name for the series, I think we could name this series not just Conversations with Jesus, but perhaps Awkward Conversations with Jesus. <laughs> These conversations feel awkward because Jesus is awkward. He is not afraid to confront. And Jesus is awkward because he loves us. He loves us too much to be polite. He loves us too much to be nice. He confronts and exposes us, and that is uncomfortable and awkward. And we thank God. This conversation today is particularly uncomfortable and awkward because it is confronting us with the biggest problem that our church is facing. 
the biggest problem we are struggling with at Blackmall is the problem of our wealth and of our money. I'm not, I'm not talking about budget problems. I'm not talking about tithing, although that is a symptom of our problem. Our problem is our wealth, that we have too much money, that we have too many possessions. Our problem is that we are possessed by our possessions. This is, this is feeling awkward already. <laughs> but it's not my fault, right? This, <laughs> it's Jesus. So let's look at this text here in Mark 10, beginning with verse 17. And if you're looking for an outline for the sermon, here it is. Our text actually has three conversations, and we'll look at each conversation in turn. First, Jesus' conversation with the rich young man. Second, Jesus' conversation with his disciples. And then third, Jesus' conversation with us, his disciples today. So let's look at this first conversation. Jesus, we're told, is starting out on a journey. And later in the chapter, we are told that it is a journey to Jerusalem and the cross. But as he is getting ready to leave, this young man runs up, falls on his knees in front of Jesus, and asks him a very important question. The fact that he runs to Jesus and kneels before him speaks of his urgency and of his submission to Jesus. And he asks perhaps the most important question that we are faced with. If there's a possibility of eternal life, then knowing the answer to this question, what must I do, is indeed the most important question we have to answer. The young man addresses Jesus as good teacher, and Jesus immediately takes exception to this. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And again, the, the awkwardness of this conversation. Can you imagine if after church you shook my hand and said, Thank you for the sermon, Reverend. And I grabbed your hand, held on to it. Why do you call me Reverend? Only God should be revered, right? That would be awkward, right, if I did that. That's kind of what Jesus does here. The man is just being polite, coming before Jesus, and Jesus immediately confronts him. Because words matter to Jesus. One of the things we learn about Jesus in this and just about any conversation is that words matter to him, particularly when we are talking about God and talking about who Jesus is. Jewish rabbis taught that God was a source of all good. To call Jesus good teacher implied that he was from God. And Jesus is saying, if you are calling me good, good teacher, then what I have to say carries with it the authority of God himself. Jesus is saying to this man, if I'm good, then you need to listen to me because I'm from God, and God is the source of my goodness. We realize as Christians that Jesus is saying more than that. Jesus is saying God alone is good, therefore, yes, I am a good teacher because I am God. And then Jesus gives a solid, sound Jewish answer to the question. What must you do to inherit eternal life? Keep God's commands, particularly the Ten Commandments. And Jesus lists them for him. Not all ten, just those that have to do with, with loving your neighbor. In fact, there's a solid Christian answer to the question. Throughout the New Testament, we are told that those who do not keep God's commands will not inherit eternal life. God's intention for his people is that they would be a holy people, a kingdom of priests, who by their obedience reveal to the world his character and his goodness. 
keep the Ten Commandments and realize your inability to keep them, especially as Jesus describes for us what it means to keep them in the Sermon on the Mount. Go and keep the Ten Commandments so you realize how desperately you need a Savior is indeed a solid Christian answer to this question. But then the conversation continues, and the young man surprises us. Teacher, and he leaves off the good here, you notice. He says, teacher, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And then Jesus surprises us because in verse 21, we're told that Jesus looks at the young man. This young man grabs his attention, and he looks at the young man, and that he loves him. He looks at him, and Jesus loves him. This young man was not a hypocrite. He was not lying to Jesus. Jesus doesn't love hypocrites. He doesn't love people who are pretending to be obedient. Jesus loves him because he sees him, and he sees him as a young man who's earnestly seeking, striving to be a part of God's kingdom. Jesus looked at him and loved him and then gave him three commands. These are commands of love. It is because of Jesus' love for his man that he commands him to do three things, to sell all of his possessions, to give the money to the poor, and then to come and follow me, Jesus says. Jesus loves this man, and therefore he wants him to be bound to God and set free from any other lords in his life, any other gods. This man is enslaved to his possessions. He is possessed by his possessions, possessed by his wealth in the very manner in which he should be possessed by God. Do we understand that? That sense of being possessed by our possessions? I have in my pocket this possession of mine, right? 99% of the time, except maybe when the phone is dead, this phone is in my pocket, right? Because, well, a silly reason is because I have a pedometer on it. And I want to know how many steps. So I don't want to lose any steps. So I always keep it in my pocket so I know how many steps I walk today. But when it vibrates or dings, right? Just about anything stops because I got to see what my phone is. Do I possess it or does it possess me? This man was possessed by his possessions. This young man, since he was a boy, has kept the Ten Commandments, or, or so he thinks. And so Jesus says to him, go and sell all your possessions. Keep the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. You cannot worship the Lord and mammon. Set yourself free from your possessions so that you can be free to love God wholeheartedly. And then Jesus says, second command, give the money to the poor. The second half of the Ten Commandments, what it means to love our neighbors. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't steal. Jesus is saying, fulfill the command to love your neighbor by giving this money to the poor. And this is exactly how God acts in contrast to all other lords in our lives, all other false gods, especially in contrast to the God of mammon, of our possessions. God is rich in the sense that he gives away what belongs to him without return. God gives away all of his goodness to us without return, without making us subservient but so that we might be free. 
The God of Mammon, on the other hand, uses wealth and money to enslave, to make others indebted to you so that you have power over them. Jesus says, give the money to the poor. Don't loan it to them. Give it to them so they owe you nothing, so that they are free. This is what God does. Jesus says, do this, and that way prove that you really have it, that you have these possessions that they do not have you. Prove your freedom. Give it away. Give it away, he says, and you will have treasure in heaven. Jesus does not want the young man's destitution. He does not want his poverty, but he wants his true and genuine enrichment. If with these measly little earthly possessions that are his, he does what God does with the infinite wealth of God's goodness, he gives it away to the poor as God gives his goodness to sinners like you and me, then he indeed enters into fellowship with this God. Then he has treasure in heaven. This is a command of love. He did not want to take from him what belonged to him. What he wanted was to give to him what did not belong to him, and yet does belong to him as a child of God. He wanted him to have treasure in heaven. He wanted to help him to his rights against all strange lords, other gods that would keep him enslaved. Psalm 16, 4 says it this way. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows, and Jesus does not want this man's sorrows to be multiplied. Karl Barth says it this way. It was to this end that Jesus demanded so sternly that he should sell all he had and give it to the poor. He would not have loved him if he had pressed him less sternly. He brought him good tidings even as he pressed him so sternly. It is a command of love. And then the third command is to come follow Jesus. It is required that he belong to Jesus. Instead of moving toward his possession, Jesus says, come with me. And the question this man is faced with, this young man is faced with, is whether he will stay stuck, trapped, enslaved to his possessions, or will he be set free to walk with Jesus? Jesus is starting this journey to Jerusalem. Will the young man go back to his house, his possessions, his wealth, or will he leave it all in order to be able to walk with Jesus? And verse 22 tells us that the young man went back to his possessions. They possessed him. He could not break those chains. He could have walked. Imagine he could have walked with Jesus. But instead he went home and ordered a couple more things on Amazon. Right? This is the only time in the Gospels when a person is invited by Jesus to follow him and they turn Jesus down. This is strange and leads to our second conversation, this Jesus' conversation with his disciples. Jesus, after the man walks away, downcast, crestfallen, he says how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are amazed at these words. Disciples, like most Jews in the first century, believed that the rich were blessed by God. They believed that if you were obedient, that God would bless you materially. If you were wealthy, you were better able to please God. 
You could give more money away in alms. You, you didn't have the economic pressures that the port is, so you could more easily keep the Sabbath. You could more easily eat kosher. You could more easily study the Torah. But Jesus says no. He says it again with a ridiculous word picture. It's easier for a camel, a camel, right, to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And just to be clear, Jesus is not talking about some short gate in the wall in Jerusalem, right, that camels had to kneel to go through. There's no such gate. Maybe the ninth century there was, but not in the first century, right? It's a nice thing, but not true. <laughs> the disciples respond in despair and, and futility. Who then can be saved, Jesus? If the rich can't with all of their advantages, then who can Verse 27, we're told that Jesus looks at them. Just as he looked at that man and loved them, loved him, he looks at the disciples here in verse 27 and he responds with, I think, the key verse in this whole conversation. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Who can do this? Who can keep God's commands? Who can turn away from mammon and all of their possessions and follow Jesus? It is not possible. human beings but with God and then Peter speaks up right <laughs> verse 28 Jesus we've left everything to follow you how about us right and Jesus responds truly I tell you no one who's left home and he goes to this list home brothers sisters mother father children fields will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this age. And I think part of what Jesus is saying is we can live our lives focused on what we don't have, focused on what we've given up, focused on what we've had to give away, focused on giving these possessions away and what we lost in that. Or we can live our lives focused on the hundred times more we have received when we walk with Jesus. We receive in mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters, even fields and, oh yeah, and persecutions too, right? Those two. Finally this morning, this third conversation. Jesus is having a conversation with us this morning. We have overheard this conversation in Mark 10, and we are wondering, Jesus, what are you saying to us? Because we too are wealthy, right? We too have many possessions. What does this mean for us? And as we listen to this text, and, and maybe I'm unfairly projecting on you, but as we read this text, it seems to me that our biggest question is whether this is a particular command to a particular person, or is this a word to all of us who are wealthy? What we're asking is, is whether Jesus is saying to us that we should sell all our possessions and give the money to the poor, or was he just saying it to that one man in the first century? And it seems to me we are much less interested in the question of how do we inherit eternal life than we are to, do we have to give our stuff away or not? Can I keep my stuff or not, Jesus? 
And because that is our key question, that makes me think that we indeed should sell all our possessions and give it away to the poor and follow Jesus. Because what we are most concerned about is the little Lord that we worship. Mammon, can we hold on to these things or not? David Bentley Hart, in his translating the New Testament, he translated the whole New Testament, he said what's, one of the things that struck him is that this call to turn away from wealth and mammon is pervasive throughout the whole New Testament. It isn't just one or two passages like this, but throughout the New Testament, we see this portrayal of wealth as being this dangerous thing that we need to turn away from. Not, I'm afraid that we are possessed by our possessions as well. And Jesus looks at us and loves us and wants to set us free. He looks at us, loves us, and he gives us this stern word. What are we saying? Are we saying that we should give 10% of our income to the Lord? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but no, right? This is not a text about tithing, right? This is a text about, what would you, I don't know what you call 100 percenting, right? It's about giving all of it away, not giving a portion of it away. Because if, if you are tithing, that's a good step, but it does not mean that you are free. The rich young ruler tithed, right? He kept the law. He tithed. It's not enough if we are to be set free to love God, to love our neighbor, and to walk with Jesus. Can we do this? With human beings, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Walking with Jesus makes it possible. Losing my possessions but gaining God's kingdom makes it possible, makes it desirable. Losing my career but gaining a heavenly purpose makes it possible. Gaining a hundredfold in this life, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and persecutions makes it possible. I didn't want to preach this sermon this morning. Does this feel like a hard word this morning? Like, is there a gospel here? Is there good news here? It is a stern word, I think. But it is a word of love. Jesus wants us to be free. And we can live with the illusion that I can love Jesus and I can still hold on to these. I can still love mammon a little bit, right? Maybe not as much as some of those other people. No, you will not be, you are not free, right? Jesus says that you cannot serve God and mammon. It's one or the other. And to be free, to walk with Jesus, means we must let go of the one and cling to the other. I don't think I can do that. Certainly not by myself. But with God and with each other, I think we can. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this conversation. 
We confess that there are times when we wish we could just confine you, Jesus, to words of comfort and reassurance. Uh, But we are grateful that you are honest and true, that you speak the words that we need to hear. And Lord, we pray that we would not walk away, that our faces would not fall, but that we would indeed have eyes to see all that you are offering to us, and that we would gladly make that bargain of letting go all of that which enslaves us to love and follow after you and be free, free to be who you've created us, be free to be together, your people free to know the richness, abundance of brothers and sisters and family and purpose and your love. In Christ's name we pray, amen.